The following monastic ordination for Suzanne Takyo Gilman and Hokyu J.L. Aronson took place at Zen Mountain Monastery on Sunday, June 6, 2021. The ceremony was officiated by Abbot Jeffrey Shugan Arnold Roshi. Good morning, everyone. And a particular welcome to family and friends, Sangha and larger. And all of those of you who are with us this, this morning from your own place. Uh, as many of you know, we're doing a, a full ordination ceremony this morning for Taikyo and Hokyu. Some weeks ago, we did a novice ordination for Kian. A few weeks after that, we did a Bodhisattva precept ceremony for a couple of students. And so it's been a season of vows, which is a good thing. <laughs> And so uh, I'd like to go ahead and bring Hokyo and Takyo in so they can hear the opening words. Uh, they'll begin by, or rather last night, it began with the monastics meeting after evening sitting and doing a head shaving together. So the shaving of the hair is, began with the Buddha and is an expression of, a physicalized, a physical expression of letting go of attachments and of sort of bringing into our primary concern the things that are most important, the Dharma, the Buddha, Sangha, life vows, and to practice letting go of our attachment to those things that we're sort of trained to put in front of those most important things. And so this morning they will um, continue that into this ordination, shuke tokudo, which means home leaving. And first they'll do three uh, series of bows. First to the Buddha. So these bows are an expression in a, of mutual dependence, interdependence, that each of us, but Taikyo and Hokyu, are here today as a result of a vast, essentially infinite, web of causation and conditions. This teaching of Buddhism is perhaps the most important of all of Buddha's teachings. And so first they bow to the Buddha, recognizing that this is where we began, where Buddha Dharma began with the enlightenment and the teachings of the Buddha. And so none of us would be here if it hadn't been for Shakyamuni Buddha or another deeply realized being who dedicated their lives to teaching. And then next they'll do a series of bows to their parents. If they're here, then they'll do them to here or directly to them, or if not, they'll do them in the direction of where they are. So Hogu's parents are with us today. Um, Taikyo is bowing in the direction of her parents where they were buried, so they're both deceased. And so that's the blood lineage, the family lineage, our, our family ancestry. The first bow to the Buddha, in a sense, is our spiritual ancestry. And then the third series of bows is to uh, the teacher, ordination teacher. And today, uh, that is myself. And again, recognizing how all of three of these streams have to come together um, and have come together so that they can be here 
on this day of taking final vows. <clears throat> and as um, a way to be, enter into the ordination, I want to say a little bit about the monastic life. Uh, we had a sign of breakfast with the residents on Friday morning, and I said, you know, we don't often... The monastics talk about the monastic life amongst ourselves, but we don't often talk about it publicly. So I wanted to say a few words about that. Both of you have been practicing for a long time, training for years. You entered into a period of discernment, which means you made um, a shift into a very conscious and deliberate period of inquiry and examination about this particular life in this Sangha. And today is the culmination of that discernment. Um, during the last period of novitiate, you've been practicing developing the monastic vows, and now you're preparing to take them as lifetime vows. Why are we so careful about this? Why so such a long process? Why so much examination within yourselves, within the, the monastic body, monastic council with myself as your teacher. Dadarushi spoke of a spiritual imperative. You cannot touch it. You cannot point to it. You can't compare it with any desire. But for the one who holds that, who hears that, experiences that, as Evelyn Underhill said, it's like a deep yearning to find your way out or in to some state that you sense, that you imagine is possible within this lifetime as a human being. And that that is a hunger that must be satisfied. This journey, she said, becomes, can become the whole purpose of one's life, which means the whole of one's life folds into that imperative, which leads one to, in this moment, in this day, for each of you to freely, and this is most important, to freely relinquish your ordinary, the ordinary life that you would have otherwise, that you have had, in order to dedicate all of your attention to discovering and living the ground of being. And for the monastic, living a monastic life, it's a profoundly meditative, contemplative life a deeply inquiring life. Thomas Merton says that contemplation is the response to that call. And as Buddhists, we understand that call is arising from the depths of our being. Dharoshi spoke of it as the heart of being. And for one who experiences that call, it begins to be more and more echoed and magnified by everything, everywhere we look, is both a reminder of that call, and also, in a sense, of pointing to that call not having yet been either responded to or satisfied. And for the monastic, the one with the monastic calling, to not respond to that call is actually deeply painful. To have the sense to know that there is a possibility, not just of a life undivided, because that's true for any practitioner, but of living a life dedicated to that within the three treasures. Again, to paraphrase Merton, he says the contemplative life is life itself. It's fully awake, fully active, and fully aware that it is alive. 
It's self-knowing in that way. It's a spiritual wonder. It is spontaneous awe at the sacredness of life, of self-nature. And it is gratitude that comes forth more and more for life, for awareness, for self-nature. A vivid realization of the fact that life and self-nature in us proceed from some, it seems, invisible, we might call it transcendent, infinitely abundant source. We speak of this as Buddha nature, as Prajnaparamita, as emptiness. The meditative life, he says, above all, is awareness of the reality of that very source. It knows the source somehow, inexplicably, even before realizing it, with a faith that goes beyond reason. That's why when people ask, why are you doing this? And I'm sure you've each been asked many times. And you answer, you respond, and that's important, and that helps to clarify. But there are things you cannot say. There are things that cannot be said. Beyond reason and beyond simple faith, Merton says. For contemplation is a kind of spiritual vision to which both reason and faith aspire by their very nature because without it, there's a sense of something essential being incomplete. And yet contemplation is not vision because this seeing is without seeing. This knowing is beyond knowing. It is a more profound depth of faith, a knowledge too deep to be grasped in images, in words, in any clear concept. In the Mahayana tradition, our life as monastics is to study, realize, and actualize the dissolution. Ultimately, even that is not true. The illusion of every false boundary, every wall, everything, no matter how significant or subtle, that divides and diminishes that separates you from that, the fulfillment of that imperative. And so then it's to use every activity, every relationship, every commitment, every challenge to awaken that source, your better nature, prajnaparamita, so that your lives and the lives of everyone you touch, which is always so much more than we can ever know, can be freed from suffering. And so it is at once very deeply personal and in a sense very private. No one can ever know the tactile quality of that spiritual imperative for another, although we can nod in understanding when we see it in others, and that that is then generously given away, shared with others. Master Dogen said it this way, in his fast going leaving the household, he said a bodhisattva might reflect and saying, today, I will, I will relinquish my attachment to an identity with my country, my position, my household. I will aspire to attain unsurpassable, complete enlightenment. I will help innumerable sentient beings to become free from dust and defilement and give rise to a pure Dharma eye. I will also help innumerable sentient beings to keep transforming delusion and attain unsurpassable, complete enlightenment without remitting. That is a great mountain to climb. It is a great mountain to climb. And so, we'll begin with the invocation of the three treasures to bring forth the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, all the ancestors, 
real and unreal, historical and imagined, here into this hall. So, invoking the three treasures. Everyone, please, go show. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with Kosojo Yodaishi. Be one with Taisojo Sadaishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyo Daishi. Be one with Taiso Josai Daishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyo Daishi. Be one with Taiso Josai Daishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. And now we will chant, the monastics will chant the gatha on shaving the head. So this is a liturgy we do every time we shave our heads, which is every few days. And um, because attachments grow like that. They seem to have their own power. They seem to have their own power. And so we'll do this so that we can then remove the last lock of hair. All right, everyone, please go show. Drifting, wandering world, it is very difficult to cut off our human dyes. Now we cast them away and enter true activity. It is in this way that we express our gratitude. As we shave our hands, we live our life through live a life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and to accomplish the Buddha's way. May we manifest our lives with wisdom and compassion and actualize the Tathagata's true teaching. In the drifting, wandering world, it is very difficult to cut off our human ties. Now we cast them away and enter true activity. It is in this way that we express our gratitude. As we shave our hands, we renew our vows to live a life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and to accomplish the Buddha's way. May we manifest our love. 
with wisdom and compassion and actualize the Tathagata's true teaching in the drifting, wandering world. It is very difficult to cut off our human ties. Now we cast them away and enter true activity. It is in this way that we express our gratitude. As we shave our heads, we renew our vows to live a life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and to accomplish the Buddha's way. May we manifest our lives with wisdom and compassion and actualize the Tathagata's true teaching. Years ago when Dadaroshi formulated the five monastic vows, which is really was his contribution to the monastic path here, he incorporated those into this traditional um, liturgy for head shaving. Only a Buddha can ordain a Buddha. Do you freely release this last lock of hair? We left on quite a bit last night. <laughs> and this blade is a little bit dull. <laughs> so I'm going to leave the final uh, final shadow and take that off later. coming away with some skin and blood when I did Kokian, trying to be a little more careful. Okay, that's enough for now.
So within the life of simplicity, some things become simple in time. <laughs> Next we'll do the Goth of Atonement. We're born into this body, into this life, because of karma. We create karma in every moment of thought or in an action that arises out of desire. <clears throat> Some of that karma creates our suffering, our confusion, our greed, our anger, all of the things that bind us. But being here today, you have lived lives that have also created karma that um, was positive and beneficial, that was opening your mind, that was um, creating a path that could lead you to here. They could open up a road within you that could contemplate the Dharma and open up your heart to bring you into contact with your mutual dependence upon others. That is an ongoing road. And so we, at this very important time, uh, take the God of Atonement to begin again and to turn towards all of the harmful actions we may have caused and take complete responsibility and dedicate that energy that we can f expend within samsara and dedicate it towards the fulfillment of your vows. So we'll do this in call and response, so everyone is invited to um, take the Goth of Atonement together. Everyone, Gosho, please. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever created by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever created by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and mind. Now I atone for it all. So next is Shasui, with pure water from the belly of this mountain and this pine bough, which represents each, the eternal spring, the mind of Buddha.
This recognizes the one mind that is held within all things, with all human forms. Next, we'll take refuge. Traditionally, being fully ordained was to receive the Bodhisattva precepts within our tradition. And the 16 precepts that we take as the Bodhisattva precepts began historically with Dogen. Um, at least that's where it comes into historical records. Um, so taking refuge is the beginning of the Bodhisattva precepts. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha to take refuge, to make your whole life a surrendering to, a um, trusting of, a practice and realization of, to make them your whole body and mind. So we'll do this together three times, and the second time through we'll do it in call and response so everyone can take refuge. Please go show. I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha, I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one, I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity, I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony, I have taken refuge in the Buddha, I have taken refuge in the Dharma, I have taken refuge in the Sangha, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in this Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. And now the precepts, the pure precepts. I'm joking. The first of the pure precepts is to not create an evil. This is the abiding place of all Buddhas. This is the very source of all Buddhas. Will you maintain this? I vow to not create evil. The second pure precept is to practice good. This is the Dharma of Samyak Sambodhi. It's the way of all Buddhas, all beings. Will you maintain this? I vow to practice good. And the third pure precept is to actualize good for others. This is to transcend the profane and to be beyond the holy, to liberate oneself, yourself, and others. Actualize good for others. Will you maintain this? 
I vow to actualize good for others. All of these teachings interpenetrate. In a sense, if we truly understood the three treasures in taking refuge, that's complete. If we truly understood the pure precepts, that is complete. But we don't. And so all of these together are important. The three refuges, the three treasures, are what makes Buddha Dharma, or Buddha's practice, rather, the living expression of Buddha Dharma. Buddha Dharma is universal. It exists before and after the Buddha's enlightenment. It exists before there was Buddhism in the world, and it will exist after there's Buddhism in the world. Buddha's practice, the practice and realization of Buddha Dharma, requires all all this. (laughs) And so the three pure precepts are complete, in a sense, if we really delve deeply into them. We would find all that we need. But to ensure that we, in that inquiry, bring our attention to those things that cause the most harm, and because of that also have the potential to bring about the most good, the affirmative side. We have the grave precepts. So the 10 grave precepts. The first is to affirm life, to not kill. Master Dogen said life is non-killing. That's its nature. The seed of Buddha grows continuously. That's its nature. Maintain the wisdom life of Buddha and do not kill life. Affirm life, do not kill. Will you maintain this? I vow to affirm life, I will The second precept is to be giving, to not steal. The mind and externals are just thus. And within just thus, everything is present. Nothing is left out, nothing is forsaken. It is the state of abundance and generosity. The gate of liberation is open. Be giving, do not steal. Will you maintain this? I'm bound to be giving. I will not When the Buddha said that the Dharma is good in the beginning, the middle, and the end, I understand that to mean not just that the teachings and the practice, but that every step along the way as we come closer to self-nature and the nature of all things, we experience what the Buddha meant. We experience it being good. It is self-affirming. Honor the body, do not misuse sexuality. The three wheels of how we create karma, body, mouth, and mind, greed, anger, and delusion, all of those sources that create so much confusion and pain in the world are themselves, Dogen says, pure and clean from the beginning. Here, nothing is desired, and so go the same way as the Buddha. Honor the whole person, do not misuse sexuality. Will you maintain this? I vow to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. The fourth precept is to manifest truth, to not lie. Dogen says the Dharma wheel unceasingly turns, and there is neither excess nor incompleteness. The way is perfect like vast space. Sweet dew permeates the universe. Gain the essence and realize the truth. Here there is no deception. There is no corruption. There is no taint. Manifest truth. Do not lie. Will you maintain this? I 
to manifest truth and will not lie. The fifth grade precept is to proceed, to proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind. The mind, the pure mind, the Buddha mind, even the deluded mind, is originally pure and clear. Do not let it become cloudy, do not be defiled. Through any sort of external source or internal source, to proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind, we maintain this. I vow to proceed clearly, I will not cloud the mind. The next precept is to see the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. You know, I think of our time, this time, and how these precepts are so um, important and how we see in so many vivid displays when they are not being practiced just anywhere, by anyone, all of the harm that that causes. And how, in a sense, every harm that is caused is always being caused in the denial of these fundamental truths of how we live together in harmony and peace. Dogen says, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we are the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, the same practice. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Do not destroy the way. See the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. We maintain this. I vow to see the perfection. I will not speak of others' errors and faults. And in the Mahayana teachings, when it is necessary to point out, to criticize, to judge, that we do that expressly for the purpose of alleviating suffering. To realize self and others is one, to not elevate the self and blame others. Buddhas and ancestors realize the absolute emptiness and realize the whole earth. When the whole great body is manifested, there's no outside or inside. When the Dharma body is manifested, there's not a square inch of earth upon which to stand. That's how vast and boundless you are. Realize self and others, one, do not elevate the self and blame others. Will you maintain this? I vow to realize self and others, one, I will not elevate the self and blame others. It's like when we, in our mind, when our mind creates a sense that we are small, that we are confined, then we broadcast that confinement onto others to give generously, to not be withholding is the next precept. One phrase, one verse, 10,000 forms, a hundred grasses, one dharma, one realization, all Buddhas, all ancestors. There is never a time where we have, where there's nothing we have to give, ever. Dogen is trying to make this clear. Since the beginning, there never has been anything to withhold. We always have something to offer, to share. And there is always a need. Give generously, do not be withholding. Will you maintain this? I vow to give generously, I will not be withholding. The ninth is to actualize harmony, to not be angry. Listen to what Dogen says here. It is not regressing. It is not advancing. It is not real. It is not unreal. There is an illuminated cloud ocean. There is an ornamented 
cloud ocean. How do you live Prajnaparamita? How do you live non-duality? How do you realize emptiness and manifest that in the world of the infinite differences? How do we aspire without grasping? How do we be clear about what's important without aggression? These are not simple questions. And we don't answer them in words. We have words to answer them. But they have to, the answer has to be lived. Actualize harmony. Do not be angry. We maintain this. I vow to actualize harmony. I will not be angry. What I hear Dogen telling us is that when we are not in the middle path, there will be anger. And the tenth great precept is to experience the intimacy of things, to not defile the three treasures, to understand the essential nature of these teachings, these realities, taking refuge. Dogen says, expounding the Dharma with the whole body and mind is the essential matter. All virtues return to the ocean of reality from which they come and from which they rise. You should not comment on them. Just serve them. Practice them. Experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures. Will you maintain this? I vow to experience experience the intimacy intimacy of things. things. I will will not defile defile the three treasures. treasures. And to defile means to stand outside, to stand apart, to turn against... And when we do that, we're really turning against ourselves. We're really turning against everyone. You know, one of the important things, it's like, why do we do this publicly? Why, are these, why is the taking of vows public? Right? It's a sharing with the community. It gives every person here an opportunity to reflect as you are making this great leap today. It gives every person an opportunity to hear whatever we hear and to both sort of appreciate that in terms of the choices you're making, the implications of that, but also to reflect on it, on it in ourselves because these are universal teachings. They're for everyone. And so it gives us an opportunity to, for each of us to reflect, just as when we go to a, a wedding or a funeral, the same thing happens, right? It's both for others, but it's also we in, inevitably, and in, in, in a sense, in, need to ref, have that reflect back upon ourselves and gives us an opportunity to think about our lives. Also, it's public because in your taking of vows, that becomes a very public matter. It's a matter of public record, Right? you making this declarative statement about how you want to live your lives. Right? The notion of privacy, and we all have our private lives, but, but of opening that up and making your lives also for the, for this, to be available and for the sake of all beings. What does that mean? How are you going to do that? Right? What are the things, that, the vows that you're binding yourself to? It's these vows. And when it becomes a part of the public record of our consciousness, we were here, we are here, right? Hearing this, hearing you take these vows, it binds you to them even more, right? 
Because it's, it becomes about much more than just your own lives. And so your fulfillment of these vows, in a way, is a gift to everyone. And when you or any of us do not fulfill those vows, that is a transgression against not only ourselves, but everyone. And in that way, it, it makes it, it puts you right on the spot. <laughs> right? For, for, for someone who wants to hide, that is not a good thing. <laughs> right? Thus, they, are, they don't arrive to this place. <laughs> right? But for someone who wants to, who has had the opportunity to really th- be thoughtful about not just what this life is, but the life you want to live, that allows that to be, become naked and clear. And so that's why the emphasis I'm making on giving freely, right? You have brought yourself here. You have had much support, as each of us have. But how important that is, right? Freely giving ourselves to a life of renunciation. That's what makes it possible that it be renunciation, that it be liberating. So the monastic vows are how we take the particularity of the monastic life. Right? which again has universal applications, but for us it has very particular ramifications, right? in terms of this life that we're living together in this place with this community, this community, your monastic family. So as just as Dogen says, there is a, an ultimate body, and then there is an earth body, how you live it every day. And so these are the vows that Dadaroshi formulated years ago and so generously have given to us. So the first vow is a vow of simplicity. To be uncontrived in speech and thought and body. To live simply is to live without adornment, without clutter, without distraction. In a sense, to live close to the bone, close to the essentials, close to the elements with no hindrance in the mind, inner and outer, there's no fear. And within that, to discover the joy of relinquishing freely, of accumulating wealth, property, possessions, titles, so that all of your energy and purpose can be directed to the fulfillment of your vows. Having few desires, knowing how to be satisfied, to put yourself intentionally within an interdependent, mutually dependent relationship with your monastic siblings, but also with the Sangha at large. And in that sense, even though they don't know it with all sentient beings, offering yourself and your life to the Sangha, and the Sangha then reciprocates, offers their life back to you in support and mutual practice, in the Metta Sutra, we chant straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways. You have many duties, this is true. And to live being unburdened in those duties, they are not chores, they are not tasks. Let them not become burdensome. And in this way, to for yourself, And to the degree that we can embody this to be an example of silence, of stillness, of simplicity, and finding joy and satisfaction here. The monastic lives the vow of simplicity. Will you maintain this? The vow to live a life in simplicity. 
And so monastics make a vow to not accumulate wealth, so they relinquish any wealth they might bring in. If they were to inherit wealth, they would relinquish that. And to put their, their lives into the hands of the Sangha. And to, to be supported through the whole of your lives, into and through your deaths, and to give your life in return. The second vow is the vow of stability. A spiritual life is an intentional life. It's a committed life. It's an undivided life. And so to practice stability in your thoughts, your words, your actions, your body, within your vows, your emotions, your physicality, within your relationships, within all of the ongoing fluctuations. See, you don't know what happens next, right? You take these vows, you leap, and you say, this is my life. This is what I say yes to. And you make that mad leap, not knowing, and knowing that you don't know what comes next. That's what makes it wondrous. And that is your faith. That is your conviction. And not just faith based on ideas, but you have been living this and drawing upon that. And so it's a path of discernment and formation that continues. Your primary decisions in terms of work, travel, relationships, children, have been considered and resolved. For you, this is your work, this is your home, this is your family, this is your life. To be clear and direct in your path every day. And so when your resolve or equilibrium wanders, wavers, this vow becomes your refuge. You find your way back to this very vow, my vow of stability. And because you have a path and practice, you know how to find your way to return to stability, genuinely, honestly, freely. The monastic lives the vow of stability. Will you maintain this? I vow to live a life in stability. This? I think it's okay. Life's messy. (laughs) Next is the vow of service. It's known, really, by anyone who examines that the deepest happiness comes from giving generously to others, from making our lives being larger than our own, and to offer your life to be of benefit to cease from harm, to practice good, to actualize good for others, and making that actual. It's so easy to be drawn into selfishness, to self-centeredness, self-clinging. It's easy to think largely in terms of what is good for myself and me, yourself and you. But our nature, the Buddha realized, is actually dana, dana paramita, giving, selfless giving. And to let your life to make a vow to make your life one complete offering to every creature, to every situation, to your own practice and life and vows. And to realize that not as a burden, but as something that's profoundly liberating, that you need that in order to fulfill your vows. And so it's a life freed from the confinement of self-concern. It's a beautiful dynamic, really, between in the bodhicitta, to realize your your mind, your Buddha nature, and alleviate the suffering of others. 
to realize that inherently there is no conflict. And so with, with, in those relationships you find easy and difficult to be deeply committed to living these vows and to put that before and within enable to enable you to transform whatever binding emotions or thoughts you might have. To live in service is really just that. It's to bow and give. Without thought of recognition or reward, giving is just giving. The monastic lives a vow of service. We maintain this. I vow to live a life in service. Next is a vow of selflessness. This is the very lifeblood of the Buddha Dharma. It is the heart of being. It is prajna. It is karuna. It is upaya. And to realize and actualize, as the Buddha said, you are not this. This is not you. This is not yours. And to again and again, every day, throughout your whole lives, practice this, study this, realize this, actualize this. Because you have no abiding place, Because there is no intrinsic self, you can awaken the mind of Buddha. You can bring forth compassion. You can manifest as is needed. Selflessness is a direct experience realized over and over. It is also a practice, an everyday practice. And so to live this practice in every thought, word, and action, to plumb ever deeper into the great realm of selflessness, in this practice tradition, in your liberation, the monastic lives the vow of selflessness. Will you maintain this? I vow to live a life in selflessness. And the last of these monastic vows is to live the Buddha's way. All of these vows are, are all inclusive. If we look at any one of them, we'll find all the others. The Buddha said this is a long path. And so this vow is to live to the best of your ability in the spirit and in the manner of the Buddha. Not just as an idea, but following the example of this Buddha as a a profound example of a student, of a student of the way, of a seeker, of an enlightened being, of 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 a teacher, of a bodhisattva, and to find your inspiration. And not only the example of the Buddha, but all of the Buddhas and practitioners who have come down to us, and all of their great qualities of sincerity and courage and perseverance and faith and humor, resiliency. Yes, we live in a very different time and place in the Buddha, but also in other, another way, not so different. It's the same illness. It's the same medicine. It's the same path. So this vow is to have great respect and reverence for the wisdom tradition of Buddhism and all wisdom traditions and to maintain them, to dedicate your life. In making these vows with your life, we help to ensure that anyone who comes seeking the Dharma will find Buddha Dharma in the future. A monastic lives the vow of the Buddha's way. Will you maintain this? I vow to live the Buddha's way. These 16 precepts, the three treasures, the three pure precepts, and the ten great precepts were handed down by Shakyamuni Buddha 
all of these many generations to me, and now I give them to you. These five monastic vows have been given to me by my teacher, Dada Roshi, and now I give them to you. Will you maintain them well? I will. I will. will you maintain them well? I will. I will. Will you really maintain them well? I will. Everyone, please go show. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. Uh, the ordination is like a Taisho, so if during the ceremony, if you need to change to another sitting position, you can do that. You okay, so? You okay, so? So now we'll chant the verse of the Kesa. Is a robe liberation a formless field of benefaction? I wear the Tathagata's teaching. Saving all sentient beings that is a robe of liberation of formless field of benefaction.
Thank goodness for repetition, right? the Buddha's bowl. the ancestors. Yeah, ordination rock so. and Rivers Order is a mountain monastery. This certifies that Suzanne Gilman, having fulfilled the monastic training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this sixth day of June received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the monastic life vows, full monastic ordination, the Raksu lineage chart, the robe and bowl, and the Dharma name Yusen Taikyo. This is to certify that James Lee Aronson, having fulfilled the monastic training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on the sixth day of June received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the monastic life vows, full monastic ordination, the Raksu, lineage chart, robe and bowl, and the Dharma name Josen Hokyu. And now, um, the Jisha will lead uh, you around. Mm -hmm. You can leave it down. It's okay. You're coming right back. In uh, Chundo, which is a, an acknowledgement and an expression of congratulations to these two new monastics.
So now let me say a little bit about your names. <clears throat> so when we receive Jakai, the precepts, we receive a, a, a precept name, a, uh, a Jakai name. And so both of you have been living with that name. At ordination, we receive an ordination name. And so Taikyo, your uh, Chikai name, Taikyo, um, Tai is great, large, vast, boundless. And uh, Kyo is mirror. Master Dogen says, what all Buddhas and ancestors have maintained and transmitted is an ancient mirror. This is one scene, one face, one image, one casting, one practice, one realization. It perfectly reflects everything. It sees things as they are. It is great and vast because it has never been cast. It cannot be tarnished. It is originally so. Taikyo. Yusen. You here means strength and courage and devotion. And strength can mean persevering, being resolute, being courageous to meet what is needed in accord. It is Master Yunmen's inappropriate statement. It is made firm, it becomes firm with intention, it is made vibrant with your enthusiasm, it is made gentle with your confidence. The strength gives us, you, the courage to face what is difficult to face, to have faith when there is doubt, to have confidence when there's insecurity, Humility when the self arises and wants to assert. Trust in this path that you have chosen. And that it contains devotion. So think of that strength tempered with devotion to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, to your vows, to all beings, to this earth, to all that is important, to live a devoted life. Sen is river. A river can be defined by its banks, the result of many, many rains, finding a path, cutting that deeper. The river is used to describe how we create karma that becomes difficult to free ourselves from. All of our habit patterns, cutting a deep channel. But a river can also be, and is, at the same time, freely flowing, never ceasing, never bound, even when it meets what appears to be an impasse, it finds a way through. It always is returning, always returning. And this river can be a giver of life and beauty, nourishing everything it touches, all that it passes through. Of course, there is only one river. Sometimes it is gentle, sometimes it is fierce. But it is always the water, the ambrosia of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Yusen, courageous, devoted river. And Hokyu, your name Ho is Dharma, the fundamental law of things of self-nature, the nature of others, of things that never born, it never passes. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be possessed. It can't harm you, but it doesn't save you either. 
To ignore ho, to ignore dharma, is dukkha. To realize it is liberation. Q is take it to the end. Because it cannot save you, we must practice. When we penetrate deeply, take it to the end, then we realize that from the beginning, we didn't need to be saved, nor did others. And so to deeply penetrate, take to the end this dharma. Josen, Joe, is humble. And it is humble humility that is um, infused with giving. That it is a humility that is giving, handing over, parting with, surrendering, relinquishing, renouncing. It is the life of a renunciant because it can only be giving freely. Renunciation can only happen freely. We can make someone give something up, but that doesn't mean that they've released it. The gift of free release, freely releasing what is held, what is relinquished, when something is stuck, liberating what is feared, makes us gentle and strong to be freed from the need to assert or aggress or defend. Humility originates from the earth, from humus. It is the ground, it is your ground. In the Abhidharma teachings, there are teachings about all the beautiful mental factors. Humility must be a beautiful mental factor. It comes from realizing that whether we're at the foot of the sacred mountain or at our peak, at its peak, there's always more. Blue upon blue. And so when we build ourselves up as a person, as a monastic, as a bodhisattva, as something, that is our delusion. When we return naturally to humility, to be simple and plain like water. Sen is the hermit path, the mystic, the one who seeks, the one who enters into deep waters for the sake of today, the one who is comfortable with silence and stillness, as well as with crowds and chaos. The Buddha says, I do not argue with the world, though the world may argue with me. This is the the mind of a hermit, of a mystic. And so Josen, a humble hermit, a simple mystic. It seems pretty obvious today that the monastic life is not a hugely popular thing. <laughs> In fact, I know of a teacher who also runs a monastery who sometimes feels like the monastic life is under siege. <laughs> right? In a world that prides itself on being, being ever more secular right? and all that that means to choose to enter into a life, such a life that puts you in such intimate contact with yourself and others, to leave all that 
that we have within our ordinary life and those things we bring with us to leave our ordinary way of having them. To be driven by this ineffable, inescapable imperative in this lifetime. Not another, in this lifetime. To recognize that while this is a demanding life, Right? Because one of the traps of a monastic life is it becomes staid. It becomes dull. It becomes the wrong kind of refuge. And so we have to individually and together keep it lively, vibrant. The world does that as it flows through. The community does that as we evolve together and bump up against each other. But each of us, as a monastic, we are making a commitment to keeping this dharma alive within ourselves and to making these vows alive. And to to do otherwise is not tenable. Which means when we make that vow, whatever we need to do, whatever is needed, we will find it. And we will find it by turning within ourselves and we'll find it by asking for help. And all of these people here are here to help. I feel very honored to live within this community. I feel most fortunate of all of our Sangha and all of the forms that we take and within this monastic community. And that together we have the tremendous opportunity to do something good. Just that. So simple. To do something good in this life and to do that together. And so I have every confidence that you will live these vows and make your life the stuff of that of that which is ceasing from harm and practicing good and actualizing good for others, living these monastic vows. May it be so. And I want to end with words of Master Dogen's on home leaving. He said to turn cartwheels on the day of leaving the household is to turn the wondrous Dharma wheel. This leaving the household makes innumerable sentient beings unremitting with unsurpassable enlightenment. So may you indeed turn cartwheels each and every day, turning this wondrous Dharma wheel for everyone. May your lives go well. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.